0: Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, we continue in our series, Pause. Let's hear what God's Word has for us from lead pastor, Antoine Lassiter. We're going to jump right into it. Um, um, pop quiz. And I'm looking at every one of you. How many had intentional rest this last week? Intentional rest. Okay. All right. Um, how many of us read through the Psalms? Psalms 23. Okay. What about the rest of you slackers? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, I found this quote, and it's not contributed to anyone. It's anonymous. It's that God is not in a hurry. You are. It's why you are tired. It's why you are anxious, stressed, and disappointed. Trust that what is meant to be yours will be yours. Trust. And so this final sermon on, on Psalms, um, and we're taking these moments to pause. Now, this sermon series is coming to a close, but you're gonna, we're going to constantly remind you throughout, um, um, as, as, as often as we can, to take these pauses. And so uh, the first few verses... Um, God, um, through David, God reminds us that God gives us what we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And as we go into verse number two, we discover that we need rest and we need guidance, And so God not only gives us what we need, he guides us and he gives us rest. And so now as we enter uh, verse number four, even when, not if, but even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, The threat, I think the King James Version says the valley of the shadow of death. That there are times in life that we go through such a hard place, it's not death, but it feels like it. Am I talking to anyone here? Yes. And sometimes it's, it's, it's that suffocating uh, uh, valley that causes us to make, can I just keep it, can I just be real? Sometimes in the darkest valleys, I make the dumbest mistakes. Because in the darkest valleys, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through them, but there's a distinction here that you cannot miss. Scripture is connected because the dark valleys are moments of uncertainty and it's unclear. I don't know what to do because I can't see the path forward and it seems that my thoughts are blocking out the very voice of God. This is the darkest valley. But there's a distinction that you can't miss. If we just read verse number four, and verse number four is great, but there's something that connects verse number four and it's verse number three. He renews my life, he leads me along the right paths for his namesake, even when I go through the darkest valley. And so uh, if we connect those two scriptures, we recognize point number one, right paths include dark valleys. The path to righteousness includes dark valleys. And that's hard for us to fathom that I could be guided by God into a dark valley. How in the world would why in the world would God lead his people to the darkest valley? And 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 what What David is recognizing is he renews my life because he restores my soul because this journey, say this journey, requires dark days. And so what happens to God's people, we stop at, he leads me beside the still waters, but the valleys are coming. And it's not just a, uh, a valley of inconvenience, it's dark. And, and the first thing, now, I'm not afraid of anything except for heights and snakes. But outside of that, I'm not afraid of anything. For There's a couple other things that come to mind, Holy Spirit, but I don't really want to share those things. Anywho, the, the, the challenge of the church, uh, we have done um, the people of God a disservice because righteousness has to go through the darkest of valleys. And so there's a euphoria that happens to us at times because we are experiencing not only the joy of the Lord, but that doesn't mean that we're absent of trouble. Now the beauty and the curse of all of this, if if righteousness leads to the dark valley, what happens when I make mistakes? I gotta live there a little bit longer. He leads us through dark valleys and journeys because he knows what's best for us. To get to where God is taking us, avoiding dark valleys isn't optional. That's tough. Um, How do you know that you're committed unless you have an option not to be? How do you how do how much more do we appreciate the sun when it's been raining for a while? How much do we appreciate the rain when it hasn't been raining and there's a famine and there's there's a uh, what do you call it when the, there's no rain? It's a drought. Thank you for helping me preach. What, what, what um, happens when, when we have access to a person and no, we no longer have access to them? We long to be with them. There's something happens when the two polar opposites happen. What happens when um, we, we no longer appreciate the job and now we don't have one? Any job I do. So maybe the situation doesn't need changing, we do. And may I submit to you that we're being changed in the darkest of valleys. Oh, you know how to save money when you're in a pinch. But you plumb crazy if you ever hit the lottery. All right, that's not in my notes. Dark valleys and long journeys are the way of the kingdom. And this, my friends, is hard. But here's what the psalmist reminds us. I fear no danger. Why, sweet? I fear no danger because he is with me. Now, notice he didn't say my spouse is with me. Now, notice he didn't say my children are with me. Notice he didn't say my church family is with me. Those things are good by itself, but they don't replace the presence of God in your life. Stop making a God of people that are meant to walk with you. And this is what he says. You are with me. He is right here with me. Uh, I'm getting old and churchy. Tap yourself. And say, he is with me. And this is the journey, right paths must go through, righteousness must go through dark journeys. But then he doesn't just be with us. He said, uh, uh, verse number four, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now this is a, a, a interesting thing, because the first thing when I think of the rod, especially when I think of the Bible, I think of spare the rod, spoil the child. Whip your child. That's what most of us come and think, but when you start actually um, dissecting what he, what is mentioned here, uh, we once again got that wrong. First of all, spare the rod, spoil the child um, is not in Scripture. Um, somebody's Googling right now. No, that's not. I know it's there. Um, it's not. So the rod, the rod uh, protects and provides safety. It's used to defend the sheep. It's an instrument used to protect. So spare the rod, spoil the child doesn't mean whipping your child. It means if you fail to protect and provide safety for your child, it will ruin them. And so we got to understand that sometimes children need to be protected from themselves. Try saying no to, uh, here's a newsflash, parents, try saying no. No protects your children. That's why this whole debate that I'm stepping in some mud right now, uh, a child does not know what they want. A child does not know who they are. They're being taught who they are. Spare the rods for the child. Um, uh, Children don't have the wisdom to make decisions that parents are allowing them to make. They're children. And and, and here's what um, David is saying, that the rod um, not only protects and provides safety, but the staff comforts and provides support. Use the rod too much and you, and you cause uh, the, the children to be rebellious. I'm just protecting you. But the staff comes along to support. And what, what our great shepherd is reminding us, the importance of the rod and the staff. So the staff comforts and provides support. The staff can also be a walking stick used to lean on. And so when David says he gives me, uh, the rod and the staff comforts me, he's saying that that God not only provides protection, God doesn't only provide um, um, protection and safety, he also gives comfort and support, reminiscent of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He says that, that not only is God with me, I want you to see this, he's not only with me, but he offers me protection, provision, support, and comfort. The staff has a curve at the top. And sometimes the staff is is used to pull the sheep out because sheep are not the smartest animals. And that's putting it lightly. Sheep will go by troubled water and lean to drink and the water will uh, get on their wool and that's the you know, they'll fall in and drown. That's sheep. And so the ever watching shepherd knows that in order for them to drink healthy water and safe water, I got to uh, lead them by, beside the steel waters. And so this is the great shepherd. Um, but I want you to see the sudden change. In verse number five you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Things are about to change. We go from the meadows in the fields, we go from the meadows in the fields through the darkest valleys, and we end up at the Lord's house. And from the fields to the valley, making our way into the Lord's house, the Lord takes us in the field. He takes us in the valley, through the valley, and brings us into his presence, his home. But look at here who shows up. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, enemies may surround us, but God sustains us. And so you and I are experiencing um, a lot. And not all of it's bad, but not all of it's good. But it's amazing to me that the table God invites us to, our enemies are present. Now, before you think about that lady at work, that's not your enemy. You already start writing names. Yes, and Sarah and Jessica and Mark. No, no, we ain't talking about them. I, I, I uh, adore uh, some of my colleagues, um, and listen, they're going to text me. But, I mean, okay, we're friends. Um, they'll say stuff like, man, I'm, watch, you know, uh, haters are just confused friends. It's like, okay, yeah. And so they, we have this whole theology of haters. Newsflash, sir, ma'am, myself included, you are not that important. Ain't nobody thinking about you. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Now, the haters or the enemies that matter are the one that's trying to stop us from advancing the kingdom. Everyone else is literally just people. Literally People. People will always find something to complain about. Um, As we move into the fall, I'm working on this series, and, you know, all pastors do this. But um, anytime you enter in a relationship, you start off with comparison. It's uh, you vote uh, if you you like the first president um, and if you don't like the first president, then you want somebody opposite of that person. You go into a church, uh, you compare this church to your last church, you go into a new relationship, you compare uh, the new uh, girlfriend, potential boyfriend with the other relationship, and what hangs around is curiosity. And then you just, think, just imagine this slope, this slope. I may talk about it in the uh, uh, family meeting, but just look at this slope, and then there's a honeymoon period or eufo- euphoria. That's when you push past everything that's obvious. He was always on his phone. He always chewed with his mouth open. He always had this crazy laugh that you just just, just curl your toes and made you mad. But during the honeymoon, in the euphoria phase, you didn't think about it. And then that's the apex of every relationship, including church. You get this euphoria about worship. Man, them folks over there, worship. But what happens over time, you become familiar. And worship all of a sudden ain't as good as it used to be, but they've always worshiped like that. So, who has changed? And so you go through this euphoria experience, same thing with God, same, every relationship goes, the new house is our new house. Oh my God, you're putting pictures up, you know, you're putting, you're, you're, you're clearing out stuff, you're telling everybody, take your shoes off when you come on the carpet. You're doing all of this, but over time when you become familiar with it, it's, nah, it's just my house. <laughs> Same thing with the job. It's just like, man, my last job, everybody was mean. I love this job. This this job was sent by God, but I saw the tape. And your last job was also sent by God. And the job before that was sent by God. And so all of a sudden now you're working at this job. And now the first day everybody was like, hey, how you doing? Welcome aboard. Now on the 98th day, people know you. And they got work to do. They stopped celebrating your arrival. It just got real. And all of a sudden now, because it's real, this job don't pay enough. Wait, didn't you sign and say that is acceptable salary? Didn't you send me the text message and say the Lord provideth in the dry season? I mean, all of a sudden you changed. And that's the trajectory. And in between that, that, uh, that uh, euphoria or that honeymoon, there's a little space, and this is the downward curve, it's time to get real. And the chip on the wall, I'm talking about this church, the chip on the wall that was there, it was always there. But you were so busy floating in and enjoying worship, now all of a sudden that chip bothers you. Now won't they get that fixed? So in relationships, it's the same thing. And then when it gets real, Rob, there's a choice. I become committed and connected because God has sent me here to see what others can't see. Or I become so overwhelmed because I'm seeing the problems now. Or the opposite, I become underwhelmed. And so now I start searching and now the next relationship, the next church, the next job is now being compared to this one. And you're just going to go through that same cycle. Because here's the reality, beloved. That at the end of the day, no matter what God is doing, has done, you're seasoned up or you're trying to find another job, what are the lessons that you have learned? Because you and I will repeat those lessons. And then there's going to be a discontent and the whole bell cycle starts again. And this is why our focus must be God. Because if we look to our spouses, if we look to our children and they don't meet our expectations and they should do that, if we continue to look outward and not upward, we'll be consistently disappointed. Because that relationship arc is a part of, of all relationships. And so David, when he's talking about his enemies, um, are preparing a table, he announced my head with oil. Uh, I just dropped back and this is just Antoine. Uh, like David is saying that he prepare a table for my enemies and I am recall David's history and David, David was a shepherd, little boy, Young man, young teen, and he was a shepherd. And when when Sam came, the prophet came to anoint the new king, his own family forgot about him. And and so now he comes, he's like, no, and, and you know, I, I was, I, I saw it, I was there. So when he was, um, when Samuel was, <laughs> you caught that, when Samuel was anointing or trying to anoint um, David's brothers, it was like, they was the eighth child. So I know he was just like, no, nah, it ain't that one. No, nah, he ain't got no oil. No, nah. so he just kept going on. And then, and then the prophet said, hey, you got another son? Because somebody's missing. Man, David's own father was like, nope. No, you got another one. David comes and his family that discounted him, now in their presence, he's being anointed king. But you know why I like David? Maybe David was too too young to understand exactly what was happening, but after the after the prophet anointed him, he was like, Y'all finished? I got some sheep to go to. The anointing never went to David's head. And sometimes, Tiffany, I'm walking with people, and they're they're, they're a little beyond me. They're a little beyond this person. They're a little beyond this person. And now they're traveling all across the world and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, they become experts in the anointing. And they lost the humility. And God is the only employee that that will fire you and let you keep working. And what ends up happening over time, that the more skilled, competent person is overlooked by God because he wants the humble one. Whatever position you find yourself in, stay humble. Whatever, however God blesses you, stay humble. Let me tell you why I love Josh and Lauren. Let me tell you why I love church in Maine. We was talking about that on the way home because they used what they had. They had church family. We're going to use church family. We got a city in Kannapolis and we're going to bum rush certain parts of the city. We're going to use what we have. We're not going to represent something that we're not. And oftentimes when you're trying to co labor with God, you're trying to build with God, you become so strategic that you forget why you started. The purpose of the thing propels me to go beyond the pain. Today, 16 years ago, Tanya had our son, Chris. Yes, show some love. It's his birthday today. Now, almost 21 years ago, she had a first son, my first son, our first son, like I did all the work, <laughs> our first son, Justin. Now this was our, yeah, give him some love. All right, so here's the point I'm making. So the first time when, when we went through with Justin, um, you know, it was crazy. It was hard. It was heavy. It was her first child. I didn't know what I was doing. I was halfway crazy. I'm surprised she ain't leave me, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. And so when she was giving birth, I saw the good, bad, and the ugly. And what they do in movies does, does not compare to what the actual stuff and, and things happen. And I'm scarred because of it. But here's the, here's the point. I looked at her with my garlic breath that she reminded me that was stinking at the time in all this glory. And I looked at her and I said, I will never, ever do this to you again. <laughs> and I meant that thing, buddy. I have going oh my God, that's it, we're done. Clothes shop, it's not gonna happen again. Around about five years later. <laughs> now, During the birthing process, my wife was in a lot of pain. But she kept pushing because she was birthing something that was greater than the pain. And as soon as she birthed what was greater than the pain, the pain felt different. And so some of us are so focused on our enemies that you forget the end of that psalm, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what David does through Psalms 23, he shifts his perspective that every valley is worth it because birthing this thing is pale in comparison to bringing this thing to fruition. And David is reminding us, yes, he prepares a place, a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Yes, he anoints my head with oil. Yes, my cup overflows. But when we keep reading, only goodness and faithful love pursues. You mean to tell me all that hell, I said hell, that I've been through, only goodness. And his unfailing love pursues me. Why? Because he with me. Why in the world would God and all our bad decisions still send mercy and goodness after us? Why would God in his sovereignty and knowing that he called crazy, half committed people, and still say, that's my girl, that's my boy. Why would God have this table that include our enemies? Because could it be that the enemies that we claim that we have is still according to God's purpose? That lady, she's not your enemy, but that lady who's like, they ain't working, she left early. <laughs> it's keeping you honest. I, 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 I see how um, we want to jump to what's in and what's what's happening. And my prayer, Tiffany, is real simple. Send ones to this church, this local church, who just really in the work because everything that's happening and everything that's good and exploding and all those things, um, it it, it takes a whole lot of work to maintain those things. But here's the reality as well. When you're building something, when you're bringing stuff together, you take ownership. And sometimes if you're not careful, you're not becoming an owner, you're becoming a consumer. So David says it this way. He said, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. He prepares a table. He prepares a table. That pain and that, those challenges, those disappointments, all those things is in preparation. For us to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord. And so David had three enemies that I want to focus on, and I'm going to shut up and we're going to move on. Wow, that was harsh. I didn't even said it to myself. Wow. The first enemy that David had was the Amalekites. Not the first enemy, but one of them I want to highlight. And this enemy was so strategic that when David was out fighting um, another battle, that um, they came and attacked um, David's family. And I don't know who this is for, but beloved, do not leave your family unattended. Now Saul was told to wipe out the Amalekites, but he didn't. So David had to pick up the last generation's battle because the last generation didn't finish the battle. So while he was fulfilling what God had gave David, the, 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 the thing that people did not, that, that the prior generation did not destroy, came back and was, almost wiped David's family off. And this is where we get 1 Samuel 30, when the men that were with David um, thought about stoning David. And David said, you know, should we pursue, should we conquer? And the Lord told him, "Pursue and you will conquer all." And this is where we get that from. But it was the Amalekites. And so, um, brother, you're chasing all of these things. You're going after, and sister, you're going after all those things. But do not leave your family unattended. You're trying to provide for your family, but we don't have your presence in your family. Don't leave family unprotected. And then he fought the Jebusites. And the Jebusites were connected to the Amorites, and their, their Hebrew meaning was that they were worn out. That means that um, when you look at the, the Jebus, I think it is, um, it's worn out. It's the trampled upon. So David conquered the Jebusites, but then David made a decision. Um, And that decision was a snare to the previous, the next generation. So David was fighting the Jebusites and didn't finish the work. And David made a decision without eternity in the forefront. So so David had to be careful. You have to be careful that in all this pursuit that you don't just leave your family unprotected or unattended. Exactly, that's my timer. Um, But what you, it's not that you just leave your family unprotected, but the flip side of it is, um, you gotta stop making uh, these bad decisions with eternal consequences. And then he fought the Ammonites, and this is interesting. The Ammonites had a king named uh, Nahash, and his literal name means serpent. And um, the Ammonites uh, were fighting uh, Saul, and uh, they were just a snare to Saul. But they showed David kindness. So here's what was so crazy. So David was fighting. Um, the Am- well, David was not necessarily fought the Ammonites, but yeah, they, had, they, they, they weren't friends. But they had some sort of working relationship. So when a king dies, David sends a message basically saying, man, my condolences. But the Ammonites read and was like, oh, he has something to do with it. And so they began to attack the people of God because of a misunderstanding. So at the table of his enemies, David not only had his family that was overlooking him, that's trauma, childhood trauma. He not only had um, something to carry that was never meant for his to carry, he also had at the table misunderstandings that led to all-out war. And so do you see how when David says, the Lord prepares a table for my enemies, that I knelt my head with oil, my cup running over, he's not bragging. He's pointing us back to God. Beloved, what are you pointing back to God? Are you spending more time um, pointing out your enemies, or pointing out your provider. Where is your attention? So David says, um, "This is my version. This is not in Scripture, but listening to what David says." And he says, um, "You prepare a table for my enemy, present my enemies. You anoint my head with oil; my cup overflows." He outlived the lies and the truth that were told about him. Some people lie on you. But some people just telling the truth about you. And David outlived both. He outlived the pain that was on, that were designed to take him out. He outlived the wrong that were done against him. And this table is before your enemies, but not to boast, but to point people back to God. We can endure so much when we believe God is in it. Uh, The 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 tunnel, right? We say, "Hey, there's a light at the end of this tunnel, right?" And so the point of it is that we have to keep walking because the light is what is driving us and drawing us, and the tunnel is the valley. My last point: victory is on the other side of the valley. And ultimately, it's not about enemies we face, but how the great shepherd, watch this, rescued us from ourselves. No enemy can do anything to you. That you and I must first decide how we're going to respond. Whatever happens to us, there are times uh, when what I know to be true there are times when what we know to be true doesn't stop us from acting contrary to that same truth. That doesn't have anything to do with the enemies. That's us. And so I need you to point your head on your heart. I want you to say this after me. I need to be rescued from myself. do you think about that, the decisions I make the small thinking that I have. I need to be rescued from myself. I'm going to leave you with three things. The first thing is, is pursue Jesus daily. This is what I believe the Psalms is pointing us to. When I say pursue Jesus daily, I'm saying read his words, spend time with Jesus, praying, lingering, and listening. Build your life around Jesus, not the next vacation, not the schools, Jesus. Ask to be filled, loved, and to experience Jesus. Seek Him daily. When I rise, seek Him. Before I lay down, talk to your Savior second thing I want to challenge you with is to put into practice the Word of God. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, anyone who listens to Jesus and follows follows him is wise, like a person um, that builds a house on solid rock. Psalms 119, put into practice the Word of God. The Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Put into practice the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 22 be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he says, deceiving yourselves. It's not enough to, it's a part of the whole discipleship thing, but it's not enough just to come to church and to hear the word. Put the word into action. The last thing. Preach the gospel. First, I want you to preach the good news to yourself. The second, we have to preach the good news to others. But, But pastor, I'm not a preacher. Matthew 28 and 19. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them. That was Pastor Antoine with our series, PAUSE. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word give to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Charlotte or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sunday at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.